You know, I, I say this every time, but I just, I love the buzz every time we just do that and just talk. It, it feels like somebody, I mean, there is a time for silence with God, and there's a time for reverence for, with Him, and man, then there's a time for that right there. Just a big buzz of us, of us loving on each other, so thank you. So let's think about this. If you had food and clothing, and if you had shelter and safety, And if you had people in your life, and you had God, you got everything you need? Thank you for being honest. (laughs) Appreciate that. We had one in each service, be honest. Isn't that crazy? Because you are all I need. I need to eat, and I need safety, and I need people. And yet, for some reason, that's still not quite enough. And I was thinking back uh, to our Christmas Revolution that we did back in December. You know, uh, when I got together with my kids and we talked to them about this whole idea that, you guys, we don't want Christmas to be all this American consumerism. Let's, let's really think about those who are in need. I mean, Jesus came into the world to care for those who he loved and who were in need. That was us. So let's make Christmas like Christ. And so we, we sat there with our kids, and I remember just looking at them and saying, hey, do you guys, I mean, do you feel like you have enough toys? They're like, yeah. I mean, do you really feel like you need any more? And they're like, no. And, but, and, but they really didn't. They were, they, when they thought about it, they go, yeah, we're good. I mean, we're good to go. And it was so cool to watch my kids be excited about this idea of we've got all we need. We've got more than what we need. And let's, let's share this around the world. And, but as much as my kids were like that with Christmas Revolution, um, they're still kids. And one of the things we do at our house is we actually went in with another family to get an Xbox. So we did that so we wouldn't have it all the time. So we have it one month. The other family has another month, and we have it one month. And I tell you, when we don't have the Xbox in our house, Caleb, my six-year-old, he hates it. And, and he literally, he's just, when he thinks of it, he doesn't want to have his friends over. And he looked at us one time and he goes, our house is stupid. <laughs> you know, because he doesn't have an Xbox in his house and he doesn't want to invite his friends over. And you know, aren't kids crazy? <laughs> yeah, kids, huh? <laughs> aren't we the same way? See, because it's not enough. I, I need that Xbox. Our house is stupid because we'll look at our clothes and sometimes we go, man, these are stupid. I've got nothing to wear, <laughs> Right? I mean, shoes are all over the place. It's like, these are just stupid clothes, you know? And then we look at our furniture, and that's not enough. And then we look at our cars. Uh, this last month, we, our management team went down to uh, go to a retreat, and Eric Winter drove his van. And I'm sitting in the back of the van, and all of a sudden, his side window goes down. Yeah, I'm like, well, whose side window goes down in the van? I know, do you guys remember the first time you tried to open someone's car door that actually does it automatically? You're like trying to pull it and you're like, it's like, they, they need a little voice that says, step away from the van. <laughs> you know, and it comes, it just opens for you. You know, there's TVs in there. I mean, we got the whole gamut. I remember when we bought our van back in 2002, they were so excited because they had these levers that you could pop and then you could lift your seat out and get a hernia as you pull it out, right? <laughs> But it was this new thing. Seats weren't locked in. You could actually open them up, and it was like this great. Now what do you got? You just open it up, and they just fall down. I mean, I look at Eric's van. My van is stupid. <laughs> and, and it literally, it's, it's embarrassing. You know, if somebody has to ride in my van. We do this, you guys, with our homes. How many of you had buyer remorse right after you bought your home? Okay, am I? Man, I must. Okay, thanks. 
Because I, I remember I bought this home and we were so excited about it. Moved here from Michigan. We were in it like f- five days. And I walked out and I'm like, this neighborhood is stupid. I mean, seriously, there's, there's no kids. You know, and what happened is I drove to other neighborhoods and I saw families walking around and kids all over the place. And next thing you know, I'm like, we bought the wrong house. It's crazy to us. And then there's technology, right? I mean, technology is, is unbelievable. The changes where all of a sudden we just feel like we need more. I, I need this. How many of you guys have a smartphone? Okay. How many of you have a dumb phone? <laughs> I mean, isn't that, I mean, it's like, it's so funny when you walk into Verizon, like, hey, and here's our dumb phones, you know. My wife has a dumb phone and all of our friends are like trying, you just can't live with this. How do you live? with this phone that was, came out six months ago. I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's just nuts, the change. Do you guys remember? Do you remember when we used to replace things? Remember that? Like all of a sudden something wouldn't work anymore, and then you'd replace it? See, we don't do that anymore, do we? What do we do now? Yeah, we upgrade. <laughs> exactly. And it's a total culture of upgrade. In fact, on my computer, it tells me every week, you've got upgrades. You can do it faster and you can do it better and you can do it and it's newer. It'll be more robust. You can't even keep up with it anymore. And so that's our world today is, man, you are all I need. Are you kidding me? Everything. Super Bowl commercials today. They're going to tell you ain't got nothing. Man, you need. Let me just tell you what you need. And we just have bought into this idea. We've got to upgrade. We've got to keep up with it. See, the phrase used to be, he who has the most, he who has the most toys wins, right? Now it's, I think, it's he who has the best toys wins. It's not even the most now. It's the best. And all of a sudden, you can totally feel like, you know what? I'm not winning. And I don't know about you. I like to win, right? I mean, if this is a, who, who's going to win this game? Last night, we had our whole staff over to our house, and we played Euchre. I don't know if any of you are from Michigan. Sweet! Sign up. Come on over. If you're from Michigan or Indiana, everybody, you're, you come out of the womb, and they teach you how to play Euchre. It's just how it works. So we had everybody over at our house, and the way we did it, we had the head table, you know, in the front of the room, and then you had all these other tables all the way down to the loser table. And, and if you win a game, then you get to advance up to the next table, Right? My poor wife, years ago, when we were teaching her euchre, because she's from Colorado, so she doesn't know euchre, um, we had one of these parties. She spent the whole night at the loser table. Thank you. Nobody in first service gave us the awe, so thank you. Um, Seriously, I mean, young kids were mocking her and talking smack. I mean, it was just, it was not a good night at all. Not a good night. Last night, um, she, she made it to the winner's table, and then she decided to step out and let me. So I got to start at the head table, and I never left it. So it was a good night. It was a good night. No, until the end. Um, but I like to win, and, and, I, and I know so do you. But here's the problem. If he who has the best stuff wins, okay, God, food and clothes, house, friends aren't enough. I need. If I'm going to win, I got I to gotta have some more. Then there's something else I need. You know what I need? I need some money. <laughs> I need some cash. 
if I'm literally going to have what I need, and if you're going to have, if we're honest, what you need, you're going to need some money. So for the next two weeks here, just today and next week, we're going to talk about the money game, okay? We're going to talk about the money game. How do we win this money game? You know, today's a Super Bowl, and it's pretty easy to know this is how you win the Super Bowl. You score more points than the other team, right? And you know you win, but I, uh, sometimes you jump in and you play a game and you don't know how, you don't even know what the objective is. You guys ever done that? Uh, Susie's mom and her grandma tried to teach us he- hand and foot. It's a card game one time. And, they were, and so we were like, okay, so what's the point of the game? They're like, well, just, just, just play this card. You're like, well, okay. <laughs> Why did I do that? <laughs> See, if you don't know the objective, if you don't know the point, then you don't know how to win. So here's a question. How do you win the money game? What's the point? What's the objective of having money? Now, I want you to really think about this. This is absolutely critical. Why do you gain more money? Why do you manage money? See, because all of us do that. All of us want a little bit more, the better job, to get a raise. Why? What is the point of you getting more money? It's a game. It really is. And you've got to figure out what it means to win. So is the point of money just to have more to spend and more to save and more to accumulate? And I, I just I want you to be, because I've had to be. <laughs> this is the problem, right? When you study for a message, you, you, you get to sit with it for hours. I've had to be ruthless with, ruthless with myself this week, and I want you to be ruthless with yourself today. Mm, why do you gain money? How do you know if you're winning at the money game? What's the objective? Is it to die with the most or the best toys. What's the point? Now, as we move forward, let me just share with you, I'm going to share with you Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. And we're going to figure out what does God say about this whole idea of money? And how do you actually win? Here it is, Proverbs 3, 9. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part Of everything you produce. Can you turn that light down just a little bit? Thanks. (laughs) Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. This is how you win. This is what God is saying. Here's how you win with money. Is it money about you and what you can gain or is money actually about God and as I want to show you, what we can gain? One of the interesting things about us, as soon as we think that money is about what I can get, it's always how I gain. But as soon as, if money is actually about honoring God, if he actually plays a part in this whole thing, the coolest thing about God is he is never about himself. And what will happen is, if we honor God with our wealth, then everybody wins. It's really a cool concept. God so loved just a few people, right? No, God so loved 
the world. So honor me with your wealth and watch what I'll do in the world. Now here's what's really interesting about this word. The word honor at its core means to give weight to. It means to make it heavy. It's interesting. And so have you ever had anybody weigh in on one of your decisions? You ever have any, hey, can I just weigh in on that? What are they saying? They're saying, I'd like to completely influence you, right? And so if somebody weighs in, it brings influence. So what happens is when you honor God, what you're doing is you're giving him weight. You're making him heavy on your life. So if you've got the scale of what, how do I play this money game and what do I do? Do I live for me? And then if you actually want to invite God into your life, which is why you're here today, right? Man, all this whole last month, we said God throws out seed and he throws out his word. And his whole reason he does is so you can live a life 30, 60, 100 times. Now, if you bring God into, if you honor God with your finances, you're going to bring him in. And on the scale, he's going to go, whoop. And he's going to influence you. It's going to change the way that you live. My my wife is always here in the first service. She was sitting over here. So, see, I want to honor my wife. Right, guys? I mean, when you love somebody, you want to honor them. Women, if you're with your husband, you want to honor your husband. What does that mean? That means Susie has weight in my life. And what I do is I figure out who is she? What does she love? What lifts her up? And I'm not going to do anything to shame her, or at least try not to, (laughs) right? Because I want to honor her. See, if you honor God, then what you're saying is, God, I am giving you weight. Who you are matters a ton in my life. So what you think about money and what your ideas are about money, I'm going to let you influence them. And then you know what happens? You actually start to handle money the way God does. And you start to use money like God because he has weight in your life. And you know what happens? You start doing that and everybody will look at your life and go, what will happen? Your life will give God honor by the way that you handle your finances. So let me suggest to you, why gain money? What's the purpose of managing money? The objective, winning. You win the money game when you honor God with your finances. That's it. Every dollar in every way honoring God. And if you do that, you're going to win. And it's awesome. So again, you got to just ask yourself, what is money all about? Is it myself and my gain? Or is money even actually about God and therefore about the world's gain? Us. It's, It's that whole idea. You guys, Christianity, Jesus made it so clear that it's never about me. It's always about we. That's beautiful. I think the whole world, if they saw the church, not about itself, but about the world. That'd be very attractive. And we can do that with our finances. So let me just show you kind of quickly into this passage, 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to there. Of a way, I think this is a great passage that shares with us how we actually honor God, give him weight with our finances, and how we win. 
when we do that, all right? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. It says, command those who are rich in this present world. Uh, let me just stop right there. How many of you just tuned out right there when I said command those who are rich, right? Because you're like, because rich is a very relevant, relative term. I mean, many times, most of us in this room, if I said, you're rich, you'd be like, you're crazy. You see that guy? See, what we do is we compare ourselves. We can always find somebody else who's rich, but we never really feel like we are. And I was listening to a guy a couple months ago, and, and you know this at all. If, you, if, you're, if your eyes are open at all, you guys, if you're sitting in this room right here right now, the chances are you're in the top 95 at least percent of the world. The rest of the world is struggling to have anything, even clothes and food and water like we do. So just, just don't, I just want to say, I know sometimes, command those who are rich, we oftentimes can go, well, that doesn't include me. Man, if you've got everything you need and a little bit more, you're doing good. Okay, so here we go. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Okay, let me pull, just, if you can just go ahead and put back 17 and 8. Let me just pull this apart for you. Let me just show you. There's three ways here that we can honor God. The first one is, he says, man, make sure that you don't put your hope in wealth, but put it in God. You guys, when you put your hope in wealth, what you're really saying is, I think if I just had you, then my life would be better. And if I, in, in so much, as many of us do that, we put hope in our job or our possessions or our stuff. And what can happen? It's, as the Bible says, it is so uncertain. But when you put your hope in God, it honors him. See, that was the first commandment, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Money has such a desire to become an idol, something we live for, something we believe. If I have money, that will satisfy me. If I have money, then I am significant. If I have money, then. And see, when you go to other things besides God to find your worth and your value, and what happens is then your devotion doesn't honor God. And so, but when you put your hope in him, man, it honors him. The second thing is so interesting. He says, if you put your hope in God, he richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Oh, I just love that. You know, one of our values here at K2 is the fun of enjoying each other in life along the way. And, and a lot of that came from that verse. Because I think so much of the time we think that God is just a kill joy. <laughs> right? He just wants to come and, and just make you suffer. And by the way, sometimes he does, just so you know. He does. Life is hard. But what he says is this. The other way you honor God, you guys, is when you enjoy what he gives you. When you enjoy what he gives you. That honors God. You guys, you know, although this is a parent, I, I, sometimes, isn't it really frustrating when you give these gifts to your kids and you just bless them? You know, they like it for a day and then it's just they hate it. 
They don't, they don't even appreciate the stuff that you've kind of poured out your life to, to give to them. And it's the same thing with God. But what's crazy is as soon as we think God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, we're like, oh, that means he's going to get me a better job and I'm going to get a bigger house and I'm going to get more stuff. And he guys, um, that's not what, when he richly provides for you everything for your enjoyment, thanks. He goes to the deepest part of your being. I, I think we got to do a series on this uh, sometime. I've been spending some time thinking about what, to, what we need to teach on here at K2 in this upcoming year and the year after. Man, I was just looking. It's amazing how many times the Bible talks about how rich we are. It's, I mean, crazy. Sometimes we got to do a series on this. You'll be blown away at how much you have. But the point is, they're spiritual riches. They're deeper things like love and joy and peace and all the stuff that God wants to give us. So enjoy what he gives you. It honors him. The third one is this. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. So you guys, when you do a good deed, when you are generous and when you share, it honors God. You know why? Because that's what he's like. All God does is do good things. He's unbelievably generous. By his very nature, all he does is give and give and give. That's all he does. And so when you actually do like he does, when you share and when you're generous and when you do good deeds, people can look at your life and you are taking the weight, what matters to God, and you're actually bringing it into your life and it honors him. The rest of the world gets to see what he's like when you take what matters to him and it influences the way that you live. Now here's what's really cool. If you honor God by putting your hope in him, and not be in despair or, or run out by how uncertain finances are. If you honor God by enjoying the good things that he's given you, and if you honor God by sharing and doing good deeds and being generous, look at what happens in verse 19. In this way, you will lay up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age so that you can take hold of the life that is really, truly life. Guys, this is when it gets so good. You know what happens if you, if your objective and your goal with your money is to honor God, to give him weight, you win the game. You win the game. You actually end up laying a treasure for yourself up in heaven. And Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 6. He said, don't store up treasure for yourself down here where moth and rust destroy. Put your treasure up in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy. Lay for yourself a treasure in heaven. And here's why. He said, because where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. Again, you guys, what God cares about is your heart. And he wants you to win. Now, I've said this, you guys. I, I came back this, this summer, uh, this last summer, and just shared with you. 
that I had totally slipped into this thing where I wanted my life to work and where I wanted to be happy. And what, Dave, what I felt like God was saying was, Dave, look, when you live to make your life happy, what happens? You get miserable. Isn't it crazy? If you live to make your life happy, then you can become miserable. And I just felt like he was saying, you're totally missing the point. And I've shared this with you guys a ton in the last few months. Make sure you guys, I'm still trying to grasp this. Your heart's greatest desire is not for blessing. Your heart's greatest desire is to love. Your heart's greatest desire is to love. And that's why Paul says in Timothy, he says, listen, as soon as you're not about yourself and as soon as you're generous and as soon as you're sharing and as soon as you're rich in good deeds, as soon as you put your hope in God and not in money, you know what happens? You start to experience the life that is truly life because your heart is longing to love. I'm telling you guys, we have a heavenly father who wants us to win. He wants you to win the money game and not lose it, okay? But that's the problem, right? If you can win a game, then what? You can also lose. (laughs) You can lose, and a ton of people are losing the game. Let's look and see what Jesus said. um, Chapter chapter 8 of the book of Mark, verses 34 through 37. He says, Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples. And uh, this is actually important. I chose this version because of that line right there. Because I just want to let you know, if you're in this room and you're, you would call yourself a Christian and you're a disciple, okay, that means somebody who's saying, hey, I want to totally live like Jesus, you know? And many of you, if I ask you right now, are you a disciple of Christ? You would say, yes, I am. Okay, awesome. Then, but many of you in this room, you're checking it out. And in Jesus' day, there was the crowd. And there was always a large group of people who were checking him out wanting to see if they wanted to be a disciple. And what I love is when Jesus decided to talk about your life and money, he said, hey, um, crowd and disciples, come on in here. (laughs) I want to tell you something. And here's what he said. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. We can lose the game. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And here's the key verse. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? Can you imagine? Woo! Gain the whole world, baby, and forfeit your soul. I don't know if you guys played sports, but you ever play sports and your team had to forfeit? That sucks. Sorry, but that is, uh, you show up and you want to play the game and they just right off the bat say, no, you lose. What Jesus was saying is you could gain the whole world. You could have the most toys when you die. You could have the best toys. You could have upgraded every possible thing that this world offered you. And you could lose. It's pretty crazy. So if you want to save your life, he says, you've got to lose it. 
If you want to win, you actually have to lose. See, this is where he was flipping everybody upside down. He goes, if you gain the whole world, if you die with the most toys, you could actually forfeit your soul. Now, how does this work? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So earlier, right, it's like you could gain the whole world. And then God comes and says, oh, by the way, you could do that. Or you could have great gain. Which one do you want? Do you want to gain the whole world? Or do you want to have great gain? And he says, great gain comes, you win with godliness. You know what godliness is? It simply means that he's at the center and he's really weighty. He's really heavy. He actually influences everything you do. You live like God. You, you just, you live the life, the kingdom of God. Paul, Jesus' whole message was the kingdom of God, God's ways, his rule is now here and it can actually live inside of you so that you can live the way you were created to live. You can have, if you live how God created you to live in his ways and you're content, whoo, you're going to win. You're going to have great gain. Now, the very next verse in verse 7 says this. How does this, well, why is that the case? Why shouldn't I go to gain the whole world? And he says, because we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. You guys all know this, right? You you came in with nothing and you ain't leaving with anything. In fact, the the funny story, right? You never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? When the hearse is going down, you're done. Okay, I was listening to Andy Stanley, great, great pastor down in, in Atlanta. And he brought this up. You guys, you got to hear this. If great gain is about getting more stuff, if the objective of money, if the reason you're gaining more money and the reason you're managing money is so that you can get more stuff because somehow that feels like if I do that, I'm winning. And then your life ends and you walk into eternity with nothing. Did you win? You see, it's crazy. You actually had how much gain? Zero. <laughs> and you go, whoa, whoa, wait a second. You're telling me that all the energy and all the time and all the effort that I spent almost my whole life on to build this, I come into here and I got nothing. So how was that for great gain? What happened? You just lost the game. And fourth quarter's over, zero. Crap. (laughs) And and I, I just know this. We're all going to get into heaven one day and we're all going to go, what was I thinking? What was I doing? I lost. See, because winning, winning is when you take God's resources that he gave you. By the way, the scripture just tells us that everything you have actually came from him. Every dollar you got is actually not yours. It's actually his, and you're his steward of it. And he gave you this money so that you could use it for his purposes. And what's wild, as soon as you use your money, not for personal gain, but you use it for God's gain, what happens is you bless the world. 
And then you see someone in need and you actually gave. And you know what you just did? You laid up treasure in heaven. See, we're going to take the offering right at the end of the service. Every dollar you give to this church goes to help people who have yet to engage with God and to know him to take one step closer to him. Every dollar that you give to the church or to a mission organization or anything like that is money that you give to God and you entrust him so that he can get his stuff done. You know what happens? You just laid up treasure for yourself. So you can gain the whole world, die, and have zero, or you can take the resources and you can invest them in things that God cares about. The poor, the people who are suffering, the people who are in need, the people who need to know how much he loves them. And every dollar you give to like God would give if he was here is going to invest in something eternal. And fourth quarter is going to come. You're going to enter into eternity and go, yes, yes. I did not use my money on myself. I used my money for God. And look at the impact he had. That's how you win. Now, here's the deal, you guys. So let's just keep going on here because the other thing, not just in eternity, but people are losing right now. Money is just tearing people apart right now. So in verse 9, he says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and they pierce themselves with many griefs. I mean, you just look at some of these verses. Is nine? Can we put 9 back up and then 10? Um... I mean, it's just crazy. You've got temptations and traps, harmful desires, desires that actually produce harm. You've got ruin and destruction. You know, I, you guys know this. I don't have to tell you. The, the, one of the top things that ruin marriages, one of the top reasons marriages are destroyed is money. You, that's not a Christian thing. That's just, everybody knows that across the board. When you, when divorce happens, much of the time, it was a money issue. Why? Because I actually started to love money. <laughs> See, and if you are eager for money or you start to love money, if you put your hope in wealth, then the next thing you know, the time and the devotion that you're giving to that is taken away from your spouse. Next thing you know, they start to feel devalued. And next thing you know, if both people are going after those things, it's just amazing tension. See, so I, it's so funny because some people will say, man, you guys don't talk enough about money at K2. And maybe we don't. By the way, did you know this? In the book of Luke, okay, which is one of the stories about Jesus' life, one out of every seven verses is on money. Isn't that interesting? So maybe every seven weeks, should we be doing a message on money? I don't know. We do know this, that God talks more about money in the Bible than any other topic. And so I just want to tell you guys, I never fear talking about money because money is where your heart is. And see, so if your heart gets caught up in this, then it leaves your spouse and it destroys kids. Our relationship with our kids 
I, I'm so into getting so many things and so much stuff, and the next thing you know, I'm not spending any time with them. There's so much ruin and destruction, not just in our relationships with other people, but even in our own hearts. Money causes so much anxiety and so much worry and so much stress. It's like if you're putting your hope in that and you need those things, next thing you know, all the peace and the joy that God has for you, you guys, God's just a awesome God who loves us. He, he just loves you. And he's saying, I hate, I hate this stuff. I hate seeing relationships fall apart. I hate watching your heart shrivel out of the anxiety and worry and stress that money causes. And if you look in verse 10, it also says that some people wandered from the faith because they love money. See, our relationship with God is often affected because our real devotion is to the things of this world. If we can be really honest with ourselves, I feel like this is going to give me life more than he's going to give me life. I know, I know people personally who I love dearly, who at one point were so excited about God. Kind of like the parable we just went through the last month. And then eventually, the temptations and the traps and the lure of money have just said, I can't, as Jesus said it, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money at the same time. You'll eventually love one and hate the other. And some people eventually say, no thanks to God. They wander from the faith because of a love for money. Now, I know this. If I asked you today, how many of you love money, right? You'd probably be going, well, I don't love it. I, I like it, right? <laughs> we're kind of dating. We're kind of checking each other out, right? You know, we're not in love, but we're hanging out quite a bit, you know? I mean, you just, you wouldn't want to say that you love it. But what's crazy is uh, you'll do crazy things when you're in love. I mean, that's, again, you just do stupid stuff when you're in love. I mean, with Susie, it's just nuts, the sacrifices you'll do. And what's wild is some of you right now are in some really tough financial situations because you did some stupid stuff. You just, this looked so good and there was a way to do this and you just made some crazy financial decisions. And you know why he did that? Because you love it. When you love things, you'll do stuff that doesn't make sense. It's worth it to you. And we all do that. And I just feel like God is coming in to us today and he's saying, you guys, if you lose the money game, when you want to get rich and when you love money and when you're eager for money, and it's just crazy, you guys, discontentment destroys us. Discontentment, it just destroys us. And that's why I think Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple... So again, if you want to be... Again, let me just talk to all of you who would say, I'm a Christian... Listen to the one you follow. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. I I tell you, when I pray, I actually write my prayers out to keep myself focused. When I write the word self, I actually put a capital S beside it. Because I know that the biggest enemy I have is my self. (laughs) Because myself likes stuff. Myself wants things. Myself is very rarely, if ever, content. 
and he's just, lo- he just, he's in me and he sees stuff and he wants it and he wants to do this and he wants to spend time doing that. And it's always about who? Myself. And see, so Jesus came in and he showed us a completely different way. It's the way of love. And the only way you can really love is if you deny yourself. And discontentment will destroy us. Because discontentment is saying, I need more for me in my own personal gain. Like, can I just share with you two practices that I think really hurt us? The, the two that hit me the most. One is impulsive spending. Anybody ever done that? You know, it, it's just crazy to me. Um, Eric's going to share about financial peace, uh, a great um, thing that we're going to offer here in the next couple weeks. And um, I, I always tell Eric, I was so mad. He made our staff go through it about five years ago. I was so mad at him. Because I'm like, Eric, why didn't you make us go through this earlier? <laughs> Do you know how much money I lost? Because I was so impulsive. And what was crazy, it wasn't even the big stuff. You know, it was just, I mean, can you, anybody go to Costco and spend less than $100? I mean, can you walk through Costco and not see like 50 things you need? I mean, and, and, and next thing you know, you just, and I used to live like that. And I, oh, that looks great. Hey, we need that. And I got that. And then I picked that up and I picked that up. And then the visa bill comes <laughs> and you go, what in the world? How did that happen? It's impulsive spending. And you guys, one way you can get rid of impulsive spending, two ways. The first one is actually get a list and make it a list, a, a wish list. And if you see something you want, put it on the list Tell somebody else about it. Actually talk to your spouse about it. Now that would be crazy, I know. All right? Whole nother topic. Talk to somebody about it. Compare some spending. Compare some prices. And here's the really hard part. And wait seven days. How many of you guys wanted something really bad, you waited seven days or however long you waited, and then you didn't want it anymore? Isn't that crazy? See, there's something inside us. I need it. And then the reality is, no, you don't. So, and here's the other thing with impulsive spending. Start using cash. This is all Ramsey stuff. Start using cash. When I go to the bank ever, ever, after every paycheck, it's hilarious. I, I always go to withdraw some money, and I always go, okay, so I need 300s and 450s and 820s and 610s and 15.5s. And uh, the teller's always like, what are you doing? Dave Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing financial, but it's been genius. Because now when I see something, I pull up my wallet if the cash isn't in there. I don't buy it except there's this visa card. <laughs> and that's the second thing. Impulsive spending and consumer debt. You guys, consumer debt will kill us. It's, some of you, are, it's killing you. It's killing you. I, I don't know about you, but man, when I get those visa bills and they kept racking up, I just, I felt shame. Don't you, you just feel, I felt, what am I doing? Because the reality is I can't pay this off. <laughs> And then you're stuck. And the next thing, as the Bible says, in in, in Proverbs 22, you actually become a slave to the lender. And God is just saying, I don't want you to be a slave. And some of you right now, you know what's wild too when you have tons of consumer debt? Some of you actually, you, you, you do have a generous heart. And you wish you could give. And you wish you could share. There's something inside of you that just goes, give, give, give. And yet Visa goes, pay, pay, pay. And you're stuck in this tension and you can't even be generous because you bought into the lie. You bought into this thing that said you need it now. The love of stuff. 
And you guys, you lose the game. You can lose your own heart. You can lose your marriage. You can lose your relationship with your kids. Thank God we have a God who just says, I don't want you to lose. And, and I don't want you to come and see me someday and know that you spent every dollar on yourself. And then none of that came with you. I don't want you to score zero. I want you to win. I want you to win. Invest in things that last forever. Have his heart weigh heavy on your heart. Honor him. And let it change the way that we live. Not so that I can gain, but so that the world can gain. And someday you're going to be so glad you did. You're going to be so glad that you did. So um, we're just going to close here today with a story of a couple um, that came here to K2 years ago and just had a ton of debt. Because here's the other thing you guys know. If, if you've ever been in debt, uh, as one guy I was listening to, he's a, a lot of people go, man, we're going to get out of debt. We're going to do this. But we're not going to sell the boat. <laughs> And we're not going to get a cheaper cell phone plan. We're not getting rid of cable. And it, it, you guys just know you, it doesn't work that way. It, you're actually going to have to, it's going to be hard. But it's going to be so worth it. And we just want to share with you a celebration story of a couple who finally realized it's not worth it. I want to win. And they're winning. So let's watch Brian and Melissa Little. accumulated a lot of debt living in California and when we moved up here it was okay how do we make this all work now and our money just wasn't stretching far enough. We had come out of college with massive student loan debt that was huge. We the reason that our, we had a lot of credit card debt was because we were putting our rent in California on our credit card that was the only way that we could pay our rent and our utilities so we ended up with just thousands and thousands of dollars of debt just living expenses and didn't know, we knew that that wasn't the way that it was supposed to be, like that we weren't supposed to be paying our living expenses on credit, but we didn't know how to actually successfully get by without depending on credit, you know. Uh, Melissa came to me and uh, said, asked about if we could meet with Eric Winters about seeing what we could do with our finances, and when we moved up here from California, um, we'd accumulated some debt just living down there, uh, living expenses, and I said, sure, I don't know how he's going to help us uh, change where our money's going or how much we're actually making. But one of the things that did happen is we, we really changed our perspective on our money and how our money works and, and what the Bible actually tells us about what to do with our money. We, uh, we started living really on one income and then uh, trying as hard as we could to pay down everything that we could, you know, and focusing on one bill, if you will, at a time, and then doing the whole snowball thing, as Dave Ramsey calls it, and uh, just keep rolling it into the next one to the next one. And over time, it, we just started seeing a lot of progress. It's really exciting to actually see things get paid off, and you feel like, wow, I'm like one step closer to that financial freedom that I'm seeking after. So, and uh, literally, too, you just like praising God, like, Every time you get, you know, something in the mail that says you're out from under that debt, 
like, oh, thank you. Well, in the last seven years, we've been able to pay off $34,000 worth of debt, and um, that's paying off. And then to pay down, we've probably paid off another 10000 So that was a... That was huge. I mean, when we'd look at those numbers and, you know, we'd meet together once a month and look at those numbers, and it was it was exciting to see how much progress we were actually making. And as we were making, you know, as, as the progress was being made, it just kept getting bigger and bigger, the number did. And uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't a very exciting thing to both of us. You know, I pack my own lunches, and to this day I still eat a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for four days in a row at one of them at work. That's kind of slowed down a little bit. Um, some of those you can take in eight years. <laughs> yeah, the mentality of a lot of our friends was live now, pay later, and our mentality was no, we're gonna we're gonna pay now, and we're gonna try to live the life that God's called us to, and be faithful with our resources. But that didn't always you know, make it easy to say no to friends because it sounded like a lot of fun too, you know, <laughs> that way of living, but it had just, we'd already tried that way of living and it didn't work. <laughs> I just want to say God is faithful. I mean, that's just the key is that like, if you do those things, if you walk in obedience, he continues to teach you more. You may start with like this much knowledge of, of what he wants you to do with your resources. And then as you're faithful in those things, he like broadens it. And then so you walk in faith with those things and walk in obedience. And he calls you to new things that, you know, and enables you to do them too. He gives you the ability to obey in those things. And that's, I think, been exciting too. It's just, it feels like a maturing process. There were times in the past where I would think, Oh, tithing is going to take us under. There's just no way we can do this. You know, that's the big issue. We would have so much more money if we didn't have to tithe. You know, God, why are you asking us to do this? You know, we can't do it. And now I'm just like, no, it's not tithing that's taking us under. It's spending on things that God doesn't want us to spend on. You know, that's something He has told us pretty, you know, matter of factly. This I want you to do. You know, and. So I think our shift has been from this is our money that we have to, um, you know, figure out what to do with to, no, this is God's money, and really it all belongs to Him, and He's, you know, going to give us the wisdom to manage all aspects of it. I want my treasure to be in the righteousness of Christ and not in just financial blessings. So um, this is just a very small part of the spiritual picture, the whole managing of money. But yet it's a part of the spiritual walk too, so part of the believer's life.